Book Five, Part Two of Ovid's Metamorphoses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Goldfarb. Metamorphoses by Publius Ovidius Naso. Translated by Brooks Moore. Book Five, Part Two. First Ceres broke with crooked plough the glebe. First gave to earth its fruit and wholesome food. First gave the laws. All things of Ceres came. Of her I sing. And oh, that I could tell her worth in verse. In verse her worth is due. Because he dared to covet heavenly thrones, Tifoeus' giant limbs are weighed down beneath Cecilia's isle, vast in extent. How often thence he strains and strives to rise. But his right hand Pachinus holds, his legs are pressed by Lilibius, Etna waits his head. Beneath that ponderous mass Tifoeus lies flat on his back and spews the sands on high and vomits flames from his ferocious mouth. He often strives to push the earth away, the cities and the mountains from his limbs, by which the lands are shaken. Even the king that rules the silent shades is made to quake, for fear the earth may open and the ground, cleft in wide chasms letting in the day, may terrify the trembling ghosts. Afraid of this disaster, that dark despot left his gloomy habitation, carried forth by soot-black horses in his gloomy car. He circumspectly viewed Cecilia's vast foundations— Having well explored and proved no part was shattered, having laid aside his careful fears, he wandered in those parts. Him Venus, Erichina, in her mount thus witnessed, and embraced her winged son, and said, O Cupid, thou who art my son, my arms, my hand, my strength, take up those arms by which thou art victorious over all, and aim thy keenest arrow at the heart of that divinity, whom fortune gave the last award what time the triple realm by lot was portioned out. The gods of heaven are overcome by thee, and Jupiter and all the deities that swim the deep, and the great ruler of the water-gods. Why then should Tartarus escape our sway, the third part of the universe at stake, by which thy mother's empire and thy own may be enlarged according to great need? How shameful is our present lot in heaven, the powers of love and I alike despised! For mark how Pallas has renounced my sway, besides Diana, javelin-hurler, so will Ceres' daughter choose virginity if we permit, that way her hopes incline. Do thou this goddess Proserpine unite in marriage to her uncle? Venus spoke. Cupid then loosed his quiver, and of all its many arrows by his mother's aid selected one, the keenest of them all, the least uncertain, surest from the string, and having fixed his knee against the bow, bent back the flexile horn. The flying shaft struck Pluto in the breast. There is a lake of greatest depth not far from Henna's walls, long since called Pergus, and the songs of swans that wake Caister rival not the notes of swans melodious on its gliding waves. A fringe of trees encircling as a wreath its compassed waters, with a leafy veil denies the heat of noon. Cool breezes blow beneath the boughs, the humid ground is sprent with purpling flowers, and spring eternal rains. While Proserpine once dallied in that grove, plucking white lilies and sweet violets, and while she heaped her basket, while she filled her bosom in a pretty zeal to strive beyond all others, she was seen, beloved, and carried off by Pluto, such the haste of sudden love. The goddess, in great fear, called on her mother and on all her friends, and in her frenzy, as her robe was rent, down from the upper edge, her gathered flowers fell from her loosened tunic. This mishap, so perfect was her childish innocence, increased her virgin grief. 
the ravisher urged on his chariot and inspired his steeds called each by name and on their necks and manes shook the black rusted reins they hastened through deep lakes and through the pools of palaki which boiling upward from the ruptured earth smell of strong sulphur and they bore him thence to where the sons of bacchus who had sailed from twin sea corinth long ago had built a city's walls between unequal ports midway between the streams of kiana and arethusa lies a moon-like pool of silvered narrow horns there stood the nymph revered above all others in that land whose name was kiane from her that pond was always called and as she stood concealed in middle waves that circled her white thighs she recognized the god and said o oh, thou shalt go no further pluto thou shalt not by force alone become the son-in-law of ceres it is better to beseech a mother's aid than drag her child away and this sustains my word if i may thus compare great things with small anapis loved me also but he wooed and married me by kind endearments not by fear as thou hast terrified this girl so did she speak and stretching out her arms on either side opposed his way the son of saturn blazed with uncontrolled rage and urged his steeds and hurled his royal sceptre in the pool cast with a mighty arm it pierced the deeps the smitten earth made way to tartarus it opened a wide basin and received the plunging chariot in the midst but now the mournful kiane began to grieve because from her against her fountain rites the goddess had been torn the deepening wound still rankled in her breast and she dissolved in many tears and wasted in those waves which lately were submissive to her rule so you could see her members waste away her hones begin to bend her nails get soft her azure hair her fingers legs and feet and every slender part melt in the pool so brief the time in which her tender limbs were changed to flowing waves and after them her back and shoulders and her sides and breasts dissolved and vanished into rivulets and while she changed the water slowly filled her faulty veins instead of living blood and nothing that a hand could hold remained now it befell when proserpine was lost her anxious mother sought through every land and every sea in vain she rested not aurora when she came with ruddy locks might never know nor even hesperus if she might deign to rest she lit two pines from etna's flames and held one in each hand and restless bore them through the frosty glooms and when serene the day had dimmed the stars she sought her daughter by the rising sun and when the sun declined she rested not wearied with labour she began to thirst for all this while no streams had cooled her lips when as by chance a cottage thatched with straw gladdened her sight thither the goddess went and after knocking at the humble door waited until an ancient woman came who when she saw the goddess and had heard her plea for water gave her a sweet drink but lately brewed of parched barley meal and while the goddess quaffed this drink a boy of bold and hard appearance stood before and laughed and called her greedy while he spoke the angry goddess sprinkled him with meal mixed with the liquid which had not been drunk his face grew spotted where the mixture struck and legs appeared where he had arms before a tail was added to his changing trunk and lest his former strength might cause great harm all parts contracted till he measured less than common lizards while the ancient dame wondered and wept and strove for one caress the reptile fled and sought a lurking place his very name describes him to the eye a body starred with many-coloured spots what lands what oceans ceres wandered then would weary to relate the bounded world was narrow for the search again she passed through sicily again observed all signs and as she wandered came to chiane who strove to tell where proserpine had gone but since her change had neither mouth nor tongue and so was mute 
and yet the nymph made plain by certain signs what she desired to say, for on the surface of the waves she showed a well-known girdle Proserpine had lost, by chance had dropped it in that sacred pool, which when the goddess recognized at last, convinced her daughter had been forced from her, she tore her streaming locks, and frenzied struck her bosom with her palms and in her rage, although she wist not where her daughter was, she blamed all countries and cried out against their base ingratitude, and she declared the world unworthy of the gift of corn. But Sicily before all other lands, for there was found the token of her loss. For that she broke with savage hand the ploughs which there had turned the soil, and full of wrath leveled in equal death the peasant and his ox both tillers of the soil, and made decree that land should prove deceptive to the seed, and rot all planted germs. That fertile isle, so noted through the world, becomes a waste. The corn is blighted in the early blade. Excessive heat, excessive rain destroys. The winds destroy, the constellations harm. The greedy birds devour the scattered seeds. Thistles and tares and tough weeds choke the wheat. For this the nymph Alphaean raised her head above Elian waves, and having first pushed back her dripping tresses from her brows back to her ears, she thus began to speak. O mother of the virgin sought throughout the globe, O mother of nutritious fruits, let these tremendous labors have an end. Do not increase the violence of thy wrath against the earth, devoted to thy sway and not deserving blame, for only force compelled the earth to open for that wrong. Think not my supplication is to aid my native country. Hither am I come an alien. Pisa is my native land, and Ellis gave me birth. Though I sojourn a stranger in this isle of Sicily, it yet delights me more than all the world. I, Arethusa, claim this isle my home, and do implore thee keep my throne secure, O greatest of the gods. A better hour, when thou art lightened of thy cares, will come, and when thy countenance again is kind, and then may I declare what cause removed me from my native place, and through the waves of such a mighty ocean guided me to find Ortigia. Through the porous earth by deepest caverns I uplift my head and see unwanted stars. Now it befell, as I was gliding far beneath the world, where flow dark Stygian streams, I saw thy Proserpine. Although her countenance betrayed anxiety and grief, a queen she reigned, supremely great in that opacous world, queen consort mighty to the king of hell. Astonished and amazed, as thunderstruck, when Proserpine's mother heard these words, long while she stood, till great bewilderment gave way to heavy grief. Then to the skies, ethereal, she mounted in her car, and with beclouded face and streaming hair stood fronting Jove opprobrious. I have come, O Jupiter, a suppliant to thee, both for my own offspring as well as thine. If thy hard heart deny a mother grace, yet haply as a father thou canst feel some pity for thy daughter, and I pray thy care for her may not be valued less because my groaning travail brought her forth. My long-sought daughter has at last been found, if one can call it found, when certain loss more certain has been proved, or so may deem the knowledge of her state." but I may bear his rude ways, if again he bring her back. Thy worthy child should not be forced to wed a bandit chief, nor should my daughter's charms reward his crime. She spoke, and Jupiter took up the word. This daughter is a care, a sacred pledge to me as well as thee, but if it please us to acknowledge truth, this is a deed of love and injures not. And if, O goddess, thou wilt not oppose, such law, son, cannot compass our disgrace, for though all else were wanting, naught can need Jove's brother, who in fortune yields to none save me. 
But if thy fixed desire compel dissent, let Proserpine return to heaven. However, subject to the binding law, if there her tongue have never tasted food, a sure condition by the fates decreed. He spoke, but Ceres was no less resolved to lead her daughter thence. Not so the fates permit. The virgin, thoughtless while she strayed among the cultivated Stygian fields, had broken fast. While there she plucked the fruit by bending a pomegranate tree, and plucked and chewed seven grains picked from the pallid rind, and none had seen except Ascalaphus, him Orphne, famed of all Avernian nymphs, had brought to birth in some infernal cave days long ago from Acheron's embrace. He saw it, and with cruel lips debarred young Proserpine's return. Heaving a sigh, the queen of Erebus, indignant, changed that witness to an evil bird. She turned his head, with sprinkled phlegothonian lymph, into a beak, and feathers, and great eyes. His head grew larger, and his shape deformed was cased in tawny wings. His lengthened nails bent inward, and his sluggish arms, as wings, can hardly move. So he became the vilest bird, a messenger of grief, the lazy owl, sad omen to mankind." The tell-tale's punishment was only just. O siren maids, but wherefore thus have ye the feet and flumes of birds, although remain your virgin features? Is it from the day when Proserpina gathered vernal flowers, because ye mingled with her chosen friends? And after she was lost, in vain ye sought throughout the world, and wished for wings to waft you over the great deep, that soon the sea might feel your great concern. The gods were kind. Ye saw your limbs grow yellow with a growth of sudden sprouting feathers. But because your melodies that gently charm the ear, besides the glory of your speech, might lose the blessing of a tongue, your virgin face and human voice remained. But Jupiter, the mediator of these rival claims, urged by his brother and his grieving sister, divided the long year in equal parts. Now Proserpine, as a deity of equal merit, in two kingdoms reigns. For six months with her mother she abides, and six months with her husband. Both her mind and her appearance quickly were transformed, for she who seemed so sad in Pluto's eyes, now as a goddess beams in joyful smiles. So, when the sun obscured by watery mist conquers the clouds, it shines in splendor forth. And genial Ceres, full of joy that now her daughter was regained, began to speak. Declare the reason of thy wanderings, O Arethusa. Tell me wherefore thou wert made a sacred stream." The waters gave no sound, but soon that goddess raised her head from the deep springs, and after she had dried her green hair with her hand, with fair address she told the ancient amours of that stream which flows through Elis. I was one among the nymphs of old Achaea, so she said, and none of them more eager sped than I along the tangled pathways, and I fixed the hunting nets with zealous care. Although I strove not for the praise that beauty gives, and though my form was something stout for grace, it had the name of being beautiful. So worthless seemed the praise, I took no joy in my appearance. As a country lass, I blushed at those endowments which would give delight to others. Even the power to please seemed criminal. And I remember when returning weary from stimful fan woods and hot with toil that made the glowing sun seem twice as hot, I chanced upon a stream that flowed without a ripple or a sound so smoothly on I hardly thought it moved. The water was so clear that one could see and count the pebbles in the deepest parts, and silver willows and tall poplar trees nourished by flowing waters spread their shade over the shelving banks. 
So I approached, and shrinkingly touched the cool stream with my feet, and then I ventured deeper to my knees, and, not contented, doffed my fleecy robes and laid them on a bending willow tree. Then naked I plunged deeply in the stream, and while I smote the water with my hands and drew it towards me, striking boldly forth, moving my body in a thousand ways, I thought I heard a most unusual sound, a murmuring noise beneath the middle stream. Alarmed, I hastened to the nearest bank, and as I stood upon its edge, these words hoarsely alpheus uttered from his waves oh whither dost thou hasten and again oh whither dost thou hasten said the voice just as i was i fled without my clothes for i had left them on the other bank which when he saw so much the more inflamed more swiftly he pursued my nakedness was tempting to his gaze and thus i ran and thus relentlessly he pressed my steps so from the hawk the dove with trembling wings and so the hawk pursues the frightened dove Swiftly and long I fled, with winding course to Orchamenus, Psophis, and Kilene, and Minelus, and Erymanthus Cold, and Elis. Neither could he gain by speed, although his greater strength must soon prevail, for I not longer could endure the strain. Still I sped onward through the fields and woods, by tangled wilds and over rocks and crags. And as I hastened from the setting sun, I thought I saw a growing shadow move beyond my feet. It may have been my fear imagined it, but surely now I heard the sound of footsteps. I could even feel his breathing on the loose ends of my hair, and I was terrified. At last, worn out by all my efforts to escape, I cried, "'Oh, help me! Thou whose bow and quivered darts I oft have borne! Thy armor-bearer calls! Oh, chaste Diana, help, or I am lost!' It moved the goddess, and she gathered up a dense cloud and encompassed me about. The baffled river circled round and round, seeking to find me hidden in that cloud. Twice went the river round, and twice cried out, Ho, Arethusa! Arethusa, ho! What were my wretched feelings then? Could I be braver than the lamb that hears the wolves howling around the high-protecting fold, or than the hare which lurking in the bush knows of the snarling hounds and dares not move? And yet Alpheus thence would not depart, for he could find no footprints of my flight. He watched the cloud and spot, and thus besieged a cold sweat gathered on my trembling limbs. The clear blue drops, distilled from every pore, made pools of water where I moved my feet, and dripping moisture trickled from my hair. Much quicker than my story could be told, my body was dissolved to flowing streams. But still the river recognized the waves, and for the love of me transformed his shape from human features to his proper streams, that so his waters might encompass mine. Diana, therefore, opened up the ground in which I plunged, and thence through gloomy caves was carried to Ortigia, Blessed Isle, to which my chosen goddess gave her name, where first I rose amid the upper air. Thus Arethusa made an end of speech, and presently the fertile goddess yoked two dragons to her chariot. She curbed their mouths with bits. They bore her through the air, in her light car betwixt earth and sky, to the Tritonian citadel and to Triptolemus, to whom she furnished seed, that he might scatter it in wasted lands and in the fallow fields, which after long neglect again were given to the plough. After he had travelled through uncharted skies, over wide Europe and vast Asian lands, he lit upon the coast of Scythia, where a king called Lyncus reigned. And there at once he sought the palace of that king, who said, Whence come you, stranger? Wherefore in this land? Come, tell to me your nation and your name. And after he was questioned thus, he said, I came from far-famed Athens, and they call my name Triptolemus. 
I neither came by ship through waves nor over the dry land. For me the yielding atmosphere makes way. I bear the gifts of Ceres to your land, which, scattered over your wide realm, may yield an ample harvest of nutritious food. The envious Lyncus, wishing to appear the gracious author of all benefits, received the unsuspecting youth with smiles, but when he fell into a heavy sleep that savage king attacked him with a sword. But while attempting to transfix his guest, the goddess Ceres changed him to a lynx, and once again she sent her favoured youth to drive her sacred dragons through the clouds. The greatest of our number ended thus her learned songs, and with concordant voice the chosen nymphs adjudged the deities on Helicon who dwell should be proclaimed the victors. But the vanquished nine began to scatter their abuse. To whom rejoined the goddess, since it seems a trifling thing that you should suffer a deserved defeat, and you must add unmerited abuse to heighten your offence, and since by this appears the end of our endurance, we shall certainly proceed to punish you according to the limit of our wrath. But these Amathian sisters laughed to scorn our threatening words, and as they tried to speak and made great clamour, and with shameless hands made threatening gestures, suddenly stiff quills sprouted from out their fingernails, and plumes spread over their stretched arms, and they could see the mouth of each companion growing out into a rigid beak, and thus new birds were added to the forest. While they made complaint, these magpies that defile our groves, moving their stretched-out arms, began to float suspended in the air and since that time their ancient eloquence, their screaming notes, their tiresome zeal of speech have all remained. End of Book 5, Part 2 Recording by David Goldfarb, Houston, Texas